But I'd like to take your bulletin, please, and take a look at that, looking inside the cover, and you will find the six treasure keys. So please just look over those quickly. Those are what we're signing off on starting next week and the following week. We'll have a piece of plexiglass in here like we just did with the Peacemakers Pledge. And what we're doing is committing and covenanting before the Lord, covenanting before the Lord, that we would be a family of generosity for the glory of God. So we want you to be looking over those. We've spent time in the last four or five weeks now going over five of those. And today I have the honor of leading us in key number six. Would you be kind enough to read this out loud with me? And that way you'll encourage my weary, weary stance. Let's read together. God prospers us to raise our standard of giving, not necessarily our standard of living. So question, how many of you have more stuff than you need? How many of you have more money than you need? Fewer hands. (laughs) I want to remind you that if you're sitting in this room, the likelihood of you being in the top 1% of global earners is close to 99%. If you have food in in your refrigerator, if you have some money in a piggy bank somewhere, if you have a roof over your head, you're richer than 70% of the world. So the Lord says that we're supposed to do some things with our surplus. I want you to listen to these words from 2 Corinthians 9. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase, and increase your store of seed. He will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You'll be enriched in every way. Listen, so that you can be generous on every occasion. You see, when God increases things to you, the reason why he's doing that is so that you can be more generous in the way that you give. Now listen, for a purpose. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You see, the more that you receive from God, the more you have opportunity to be generous with that. And the more then that you actually enter into the joy of the Lord because you cannot outgive God. Can you say that with me? I cannot outgive God. You are most like God when you are giving because God is the giver of life and light and peace and joy and hope. And and he is the one who actually ministers to the needs, the deepest needs of our soul. So I have a question for you. When you get more money than you need or more stuff than you need, is it really a blessing or is it a testing? Is it really a blessing from the Lord when you get more than you need or is it really a test from the Lord? I would propose to you that it's a test first and if you pass the test, then you will be blessed. How many of you ever failed a test in school? How many of you felt super blessed after you failed that test? That was one joker in a crowd. No, you didn't feel that way because why? You failed the test. Now look, your, your teacher may have grimaced at you. She may have shunned you or he may have like shamed you. I don't know, but God doesn't do that. That's not God. Say that's not God. That's not God. Our God's not a God of shame. He's not a God of condemnation. He is a God of grace and loving kindness. So when you fall and you falter, your God doesn't punch you to the curb. He picks you up. And he brushes the dust off you and he says, come on, we're going to try this again. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. See, when you fall, God's not there to rub it in. 
He came to rub it out. He gave his blood, his very life to rub out your sin and your shame and your condemnation and all those self-condemning voices that you live with in your head and all those from the outside. God came to rub those out, not to rub them in. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And he is filled with such grace towards you. He's forgiven all of your sins. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has separated you from your sins. But i got to be honest with you in this. I don't think there's one of us in this room that hasn't failed this test at some point in time. Because we live in one of the most materialistic cultures on the face of the planet. And we are prone to buy into this stuff. To buy into this, this whole thing that the enemy wants to do is he wants to wrap us around an axle with our stuff. Last week, I quoted you statistics that many of us cannot believe that the average household has 300,000 items. You know the average household is three times larger than it was 50 years ago? And now we have more mini storage than ever before because we can't even fit our stuff in our triple the size house. That's something you can laugh over and it's also something you should cry over. That should cut us to the heart. Why? Because our stuff has us. Listen, you don't have to have money in order for money to have you. There are plenty of people who don't have money, but money still has them because it's their focal point. So look, I want you to understand something again. It's a blessing or a testing, and God says, look, I want you to pass the test. I want you to trust me in this, that I'm going to grow you up and deliver you from your self-made prison. Materialism is a religion. And again, I want to to say to you that I believe consumerism and materialism are the fastest growing religion in our culture. Every religion has doctrines. And the doctrines of this one is you get more stuff, you're going to be happier. If you get that, you're going to feel this. See, see, stuff and the way that it's marketed to us. I saw a Subaru commercial the other day. You know what happened after I watched that commercial? I wanted to buy a Subaru. <laughs> Why? Because I wanted to feel that free I wanted to drive that car. And you know what? That car is going to need to have oil change. That car is going to break down. That car is going to cause me more pain than you could ever ask or imagine. I don't even want that stinking car. But when I watched that commercial, you know what it offered me? Transcendence. It offered me this, this lie that somehow if I get in that car, I'm going to transcend what my current position is. That car is going to deliver me according to Subaru. And guess what? The only person that can deliver me is Jesus Christ. And my call is to give everything to him in light of what he's done for me. So materialism is a religion, and it is incompatible with following Christ. It's like oil and water. It does not mix. Listen to these words from Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's one of our keys. The eye is the lamp of the body, and if the eyes are healthy, your whole body will be filled with life. Praise the Lord. But if your eyes are unhealthy, the whole body will be filled with darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. No one. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Period. Notice what Jesus is doing here. He's personifying money. 
He's calling money a master. And he's calling God a master. He says you can't serve them both at the same time. In the New King James Version, it doesn't say the word money. It says the word mammon. Mammon is the literal translation of the Greek word, which is the name of the pagan god of wealth. You cannot serve both God and wealth. You have to choose, Jesus said. He's not talking about God versus a thing. He's talking about the one true God versus another God, little g God. Now, very surprising to most of us, this is a total binary. He says, either you'll love one and hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. My question for you this morning is, which one do you despise? Which one are you devoted to? Which one do you love? Which one do you hate? Most of us would say, well, can't it be like I like, do I like a 70-30 split? Like, God, I love you 70%, but let me still keep my stuff. He says, no. No, your heart's in the wrong place when you even ask that question. It's not your stuff to begin with. It's my stuff. And I gave everything for you. And in light of one done it for you, I want you to give everything back to me. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, most of us think that God wants to come into our lives and just cut a branch off here and there. Just, you know, trim it up, prune it up a little bit, and let us keep the things that we think earnest enough, but let's just, you know, trim it up. And he says, no, God comes and says, I want the whole tree down. I don't want you holding on to the things of this world. Do you know why he doesn't want you holding on to them? Because he loves you. And he wants to see you free. I'm not talking just a little bit free. I'm talking radically free. So God comes in and he says, look, get this materialistic monster called mammon out of your life because it has no place in my temple. You are the temple of God. We are the temple of God. In the Old Testament, there was a competing God uh, with the one true God, and his name was Baal. Now, if you know much about Baal, he was the God that other people wanted to follow at the same time they followed the one true God. Listen to Elijah speak in 1 Kings 18. Elijah went before the people and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? Can you say those words with me? How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But as for me and my house, we will Serve the Lord. He didn't say that there. That was Joshua. I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> the Old Testament writers could have said something like this. They could have said, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or despise the one and be devoted to the other. You cannot serve both God and Baal. And yet the people continued to try to serve both. Now, Baal eventually faded, but people figured out he wasn't real. That's why. But in the practice of attempting to worship two gods, that's persisted in our culture. That's persisted in the people of God. And can I tell you, Mammon took Baal's place as the most important rival to the one true God. Still true today. Can I tell you that money and materialism is not one of the false gods that vie for our worship? It is by far and away the one true God's most fierce competitor in this culture. Do you know why? Anybody believe our government's a mess? Okay, so everybody agrees. Do you know why? Well, the short answer is the evil one. The short answer is the absence of God. But can I tell you what the evil one has done? He has planted greed in the hearts of so many of our political figures. Now, I'm not casting a wide net. I'm just telling you, you know what's at the heart of our absolute governmental mess is the word greed. And greed destroys people. 
We're like, really? Greed's at the root of that? Oh my gosh. You know corporations, what they say. They say if they have an agenda to actually try and push, they can choose between actually spending the money to push the agenda, or they can do the cheaper alternative, which is to buy a politician. Now, I'm not telling you that every politician in Washington is for sale. I actually know some that have said, it's one of the hardest things for me to do is hold on to my relationship with God and integrity serving in this body. But can I tell you they're swimming against stream? That's what we're called to do. You see, greed has a way of creeping into our hearts, and greed is one of the seven deadly sins. Mammon took Baal's place, and I'll tell you, you can be so easily self-deceived in this area. You can't tell from outside appearances if people worship God or they don't worship God. There are plenty of poorer saints that secretly worship money. You know what? There are plenty of extremely successful business people who love and worship God with all their hearts. You can't tell this from looking at the outside, but you can looking on the inside. So let me ask you some questions. I'm going to give you a little self-diagnostic test. You know when you're worshiping something when you think about that something the most often. You know you're worshiping something when you give your most time and energy in the pursuit of that something. When you look to something to take care of you. When you look to find security and safety in that something. When you find your sense of identity and significance in it. When you equate that something with happiness, that something is the God that you are worshiping. We could spend a lot of time talking about this. In Luke 12, 15, a man comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide our parents' estate with me. Now, I don't know what he's doing here, but I have a feeling there's a little family friction, don't you think? And that family friction is over money, don't you think? Do you know that money is like one of the number one contributing, or the love of money, I should say, the number one contributing factors to divorce in our culture? It's the number one thing that a lot of couples fight over. I wonder why that is. So Jesus, he doesn't respond by actually saying, yeah, I'll take care of that for you, bud. He just says, watch out. Say that with me. Say it louder. Watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And can I tell you something? Jesus does not say watch out very often. The implication is that you can be filled with greed and not even know it. As a pastor, I've had many people over the years come to me and confess all types of sin. They've confessed to me lust, anger, envy, jealousy. I need to be honest with you, I've never had anybody come to me and confess to me that they were being greedy. Never once. You know why I think that is? This one lives underground. This one goes deep. And the enemy does not want us to see that this one can get its meat hooks in us and hold on to us in such a way that we end up worshiping mammon over the one true God. The scripture has a definitive test. It's in the book of 2 Corinthians 8, verses 7 and 8, which is just a chapter before what we looked at earlier. It says this, But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see to it that you also excel in the grace of giving. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. 
Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, in essence, look, I see some good signs in you people of Corinth that you love God. You have faith, you have speech, you have knowledge. You seem to be earnest, earnest. You appear to really love and worship God. But of course, there's that one issue having to do with how you deal with God's money. I really want to test your faith and see the sincerity of your love. What are you doing with what God entrusted to you? Now, Paul was going right for the juggler, and I know this may offend some of us. It offends me at times. So, you know, my, my whole objective is not to offend anybody except offend everybody with the Word of God. You might say, are you suggesting that this is the only way to show my love for God? That's ridiculous. I pray, I read my Bible, I serve others. There are all sorts of ways that I can show love to God without giving money. It's not all about money. Well, I can agree with you on one front, but in these verses... Jesus made it all about money. He said you cannot serve both God and money, period. You know, it's interesting when I talk to people about money. It's interesting when I talk to myself about money. I always want to kind of shift it to other kinds of giving. Why is that? I don't know. I think it's because I'd rather not talk about this. There's a showdown between two rival deities in our lives. God on one hand and money on the other. And money is the only competing God that we are talking about in question right now. If you came to God and said, God, I'll give you everything, anything you want, except let me keep this much money. I think he would say, you have a problem. Your colors have become clear. Let's deal with that in your heart. Because you have a mistress, you have a lover, and I am a jealous God. And I love you with a love that goes beyond understanding. And I want you to be solely mine. One of the reasons why I'm excited about this special offering that we're going to do next week is because it's kind of like a showdown in our family together. Now look, I don't want you to feel pressure in this because the scripture is very clear. You're to give what you've decided in your heart to give, cheerfully, not under compulsion. So look, when we talk about money here, people can get real upset. I haven't had a lot of upsetness. Actually, there's been a lot of gratitude and Tracy and I are changing like crazy in our own lives. I tell you this, I I called it for an altar call at the end of last service. And uh, there were people that came up and prayed with other people. There wasn't anybody come up and pray with me. So I just turned around and I worshiped, had my hands up to the screen. I was worshiping, worshiping, worshiping. But you know, somebody came up and put their hands on my shoulder. You know who that was? It was my wife. She asked my for forgiveness for the ways that she's mishandled money. Can I tell you, I wept with my wife up here today. You know why? Because I had to confess to her that I have wasted a lot of God's money. And we recommitted our lives to the Lord today in this area together. And you know what? If this doesn't affect any of y'all, it's changing my life. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We got to be done with this stuff. I mean, I think we have more than 300,000 items in our house. I'm selling stuff, the crap that we have, like you wouldn't believe. Why? Because we want to participate more fully in this thing next week. So I'm going, God says, sell the exercise bike. You haven't used it in six months. And I'm like, God, I can't. It's the Kaiser M3. Lord, no, I can't sell the Kaiser M3. He's like, Jeff, you got a problem. You have a treadmill. Keep running on that. Just sell the bike. So I posted on Facebook with a really high price so nobody would buy it. And then guess what? Some dude comes and buys it. 
And angels in heaven were rejoicing. You know why? Because I took thing out of his car. Crazy thing that happened. I'm, I'm waiting in the driveway with him with the bike, and he's backing his van up, and the dude literally hits me bodily with his van. He backed into me at about 10 miles an hour, pushed me across the, the macadam. I was trapped between the bike and I twisted around. I twisted my back and everything. And this dude gets out and he goes, oh, that was really close. I said, no, dude, you hit me. <laughs> and the look on his face, he was filled with shock. He was like, I am so sorry. And you know what he did? I hobbled over to the dude and I threw my arms around his neck and I said, don't worry about it. I'm going to be okay. And I felt like the dude was going to weep in my arms. And I'm like, what kind of trip is this? You have me on, Jesus. <laughs> You tell me to sell the exercise bike. That dude hugged me harder than anybody has hugged me in a long time. He actually hugged me two more times in the driveway after that. He was speechless. And all I could say was, God bless you, man. It's okay. I don't think he had any knowledge of who God was. But guess what? After meeting me, I think he met Jesus. So, so, dude, he sold the bike. The money goes, you know, to the pot that we're kind of collecting for next week. And, and I got this thing in my head that I'm trusting the Lord for. And Tracy and I are trusting God in that. But, you know, next week's not the only opportunity to give. It would be weeks after that and weeks after that and weeks after that. And we just want to get rid of junk. You know why? Because I don't want to be enslaved to it anymore. You know, we've talked about this in weeks prior, but the more junk you have, the harder it is to find stuff. And the more you have to maintain your junk. She's loving this down here. <laughs> oh, she's pointing at her husband. All right. <laughs> the more you have to maintain that stuff. We sold our truck for the last week, a couple weeks ago. You know what? I am so grateful I don't have to check the oil anymore. I don't have to change that. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do any of that stuff. I'm glad you are loving this. This <laughs> is awesome. <laughs> so the reason why I love when I get to participate in like a special offering, Lex, I feel like it's a showdown in my soul between the two deities. Who's going to win? You know, Elijah set this up at Mount Carmel. He, he had this competition between Baal and Yahweh. Go read it. It's freaking awesome. Yahweh won, for sure. It reminds me of Joshua calling for the vote. He says, choose whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Next Sunday, we have an opportunity together to show that we're more devoted to God than we are to mammon. Now look, don't receive that as pressure. Receive that as an invitation to freedom. It's voting time in our family. Who's going to win? These two candidates are seeking the same job in your life. In one corner, you have the Lord of life, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lord of Lords, and the King of Kings. He's in one corner. In the other corner, you have this little wimpy dude called Mammon. And he wants Yahweh's position in your heart. Who will it be for you? Now, we could, you know, raise our hands and have a vote, but that would absolutely mean nothing. We vote with how we steward God's money. That's how we vote. So we're not going to rejoice next week over totals. You know what the leadership's going to rejoice in? That people are being set free from the bondage, the slavery, and the idolatry to materialism in our culture. That's what we will rejoice over. Because some of us, amen, amen. Some of us will receive that invitation and some of us won't. Okay, praise God. We trust him and his grace for that. But you have an opportunity today to make mammon bow down before God. You see, you've been entrusted with stuff. You've been entrusted with God's resources, money. You can take that money and you can make it bend a knee and bow down before the lead Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that you do that is you take God's resources and you put them towards God's kingdom work. 
That's the way you make mammon bow down. And he screams. He doesn't like that at all. Your flesh screams because your flesh doesn't like that at all. But can I tell you something? Angels in heaven are rejoicing and your new person is being greater, greater created in the image of God and you're experiencing more freedom and more joy than you have ever before. I can't believe I'm talking like this about giving, folks. This is, this is relatively new to me. I, we've always given to grace. We've always given to other people. But I feel like God has taken us to a whole different level. And I'm just so grateful. Look, some of us, we think that we're going to go closer to Jesus because we just do a lot of stuff. And so the number one reason why people aren't experiencing a deeper relationship with God is because you already have another God in your life. I want to say that again. A reason why a lot of people aren't experiencing a deeper relationship with God is because they already have another God in their lives. And they pray and they read their Bible studies and they do all this kind of stuff. And they say, I'm just going to try this, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try this. And you know what? Until that issue of another God is dealt with, you probably, you may not experience a lot of growth. Let me give you an illustration. Say that you have a married friend who has an ongoing adulterous affair with someone. You might say, he might say to you, you know, I'd really like to get closer to my wife. I'd like to strengthen my marriage. What can I do? Maybe we should go on more dates. Maybe we should spend more time together. Maybe I should try and talk to her more. And if you have any sense at all, you would respond by saying, dude, you should start by ending the affair that you're having. Don't you think? Don't you think it would be wise to say to him, um, you could go on more dates, but as long as you're committing adultery, you're not going to get closer to her. He'd say, well, what? I mean, you're the fair? No, you don't understand. That's unrelated. That's completely separate. I'm talking about my wife, not my mistress. I want to get closer to my wife. What does the affair have to do with any of that? And do you know that's the way that many of us approach God? We have a mistress on the side. And yet we go, well, they're kind of unrelated. No, they're not. Then we say things like, I want to get closer to God. I'm going to try a few things. I'll pray more. I'll join a Bible study. I'll read the Bible. I'll go to church more often. And if we're to honest, the best thing we can hear from God is, stop wasting your time with energy expended in these areas because your heart already belongs to someone else. Get your heart right before me. Devote yourself to me. Let this be said about us that we are devoted to the one true God and that we do not bow down before any wimpy God called mammon. That we put them in their proper perspectives and that we take this lesser God entrusted to us and we force him to bow down and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the proper ordering. We have the opportunity for that today, tomorrow, next week's together in our time. We have the opportunity to do that every day. I had a conversation with a gal, and I'm going to stop here in a second, that just walked out of here after the first service, and she said, I got a problem with clothes. I won't ask for a raise of hands. <laughs> Enough said. She said, I got a problem with clothes, and she said, I buy clothes way too much. You know what the Lord's told me to do? Not to buy another piece of clothing for the whole next year. And every time I see something I like, I'm going to take the money, and I'm going to put it in an envelope, and every month I'm going to give that money to the purposes of the kingdom of God. Yeah. Praise the Lord. And I, she was jumping up and down with excitement. She was so excited, and I'm jumping up and down with her. We must have looked like two kids in a candy store. Why? Because she was being set free. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. So I want to ask you today, as you prepare our hearts now for this presentation that I really believe God's going to use in a powerful way in your life, who do you want to serve?
Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you now and we acknowledge that we are divided people. We confess to you our sinfulness of idolatry, especially when it comes to materialism and wealth. Lord, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you that your acceptance of us is not based on our sin, but it's based on your righteousness and that you've given us your righteousness through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for loving us that much. Help us to love you in return by giving everything back to you because, frankly, you are the only one who is worth serving. We thank you, Jesus, and we pray this all in your precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Please give a warm welcome to Piercing Word, please.